the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. I'm going to connect a story that uh, may at first not seem appropriate for a day where we remember our baptism because we are reaffirming today our baptismal vows and ultimately also our vows to Christ's church. But bear with me as we read through this passage of Scripture here, a very interesting story only found in the Gospel of Luke, by the way. So this story is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Nobody else gives this story. And interestingly, follow this. This is Epiphany, right? We're in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is the appearing manifestation of Christ. In particular, what Epiphany really kind of lasers in on, if you will, is the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. In other words, this thing's getting bigger than just a Jewish family. Instead, it's for the whole world. And guess what? Luke, guess what his background is? He's a Gentile! So, almost all of us would uh, qualify for being brothers or sisters with him. And he, he tucks this little story here about Jesus into his gospel and nobody else does. Let's read it together here. Uh, as you look and I read here in Luke 2, starting with verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem. This is Jesus' parents. Every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So, they've been doing this for 12 years, right? But now something happens the 12th year. And when the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. <laughs> what a mysterious passage of Scripture to think about our Lord. Jesus, we pray that you now would help us increase in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Through this reading of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A very simple, straightforward story in many ways. They are 
going through the seasons of the Jewish calendar. Just as we today follow a certain church calendar that celebrates certain redemptive events, so too the Jews would have followed a calendar of events that were filled with times of feasting, times of fasting. And guess what? Our year also as a church is filled with times of fasting and times of feasting. And so this is a part of their makeup, their DNA. It's not even a question of if we're going to go. But everybody understands that they will go. And at 12 years old, after 12 years of going to this feast of the Passover, uh, Jesus stays behind. And they, they don't realize that he's not with them. Now, you know, again... You know, we can make all kind of jokes and stuff. I mean, I've got a big family. My brother's got a pretty big family as well. <laughs> Bigger. And, you know, when we get everybody together, we just assume everybody's hanging out with everybody else, right? You get a lot of families together, and it was safer to travel in this time period, uh, even though it was, you know, even though Rome was in charge, it was fairly safe on the roads. It still was way safer to travel in very large groups. And so, you know, he's probably with the cousins. Just cause, I mean, look, when kids start, I've noticed this, have you not? When kids get older, we're like, where's Jackson? Oh, he's just upstairs by himself. What in the world's he doing? Because he's been a baby and stuff so far. He just wants to hang around us. But now he's starting to identify himself as an individual and start doing his own thing, even apart from his brother sometimes. And this is a weird situation. And he's 11, and Jesus was 12. And Jesus stays behind, and they don't know it, and they come back, and they're looking for him, and they finally find him and say, Son, I mean, you can imagine the, the, the distress of a, of a parent looking for a child. Kind of like us at Disney World one time. <laughs> Jessica has forbidden me to talk about, but uh, I'll just mention us at Disney World one time with Blakely, apple of our eye. And there's a moment of distress. Where is she? And she gets to him and says, Son, what, why? Why, what, what, why did you do this to us? And he says, Don't you know that I would be in my father's house? He assumes she should have known that where he was going to be, just as sure as they knew every year they were going to Passover, he assumed she would know that he was going to be found in the temple. In particular, he says, in his father's house. And this is where I want to sort of uh, springboard from into the deep end. Why are we baptized? What are we baptized into? It has to be the church. The body of Christ. The house of God. The building not made with hands. But rather by the spirit of the living God. We're baptized not just for our own individual assertion of our faith. As if, hey... 
I made this decision. Rather, we are baptized, submerged, if you will, poured over by the Holy Spirit into a community, into a body of believers whose head is Christ himself. Let me just stop and say, and here's the real mystery, it's not just a symbol. Christ is not symbolically the head of the church. He literally and ultimately physically is the head of the church. His physical body is salvation for us. It's not some merely mystical Christ that saves us, but rather a man that we could shake hands with, embrace, feel the breath of. Christ had a bodily resurrection. This is not just a philosophy to be believed. You've heard me say that multiple times. It is so true for us, but rather a physical Lord to be obeyed. And so when I read this passage a few weeks ago, and I'd read it before and preached on it before many, many, many years ago, this really cool and witty sermon, you know, where I was connecting all this stuff. But when I reread it recently, one thing jumped out at me, and it was this. Where would Jesus be? Not WWJD, right? But WWJB. Where would Jesus be? Not just what he would do, but where would he be? Where would Jesus, if he came, if God came to earth, where would he be? Would he go to the theater? Would he go to this? Or would he go to the ball games? And all, I like all those things. I'm sure God likes all those things to some degree. But where really does he want to be found? And it's in his father's house. For the first century, the temple. For the subsequent centuries, the church in all its different and various forms. All the way from sawdust tents in the great revivals of the 1800s, 19th century, to sand floors and tents, all the way to immaculate marbled floors with nice little kneelers and everything else you can imagine. All kinds of different buildings, but one commonality. It was his father's house. And I just... This is the father's house. This place right here. I mean, this is not even our building. You know that. And we're very grateful for Inside Out Ministries. For allowing us to share space with them. But it's become the Father's house. 
where Jesus wants to be, wants to be, likes to be. He wants to be found here. Yes, Jesus is everywhere present, I understand. Surely, but nowhere more present than in the church. Let's just be clear. Because guess what? He is the head of the church. He's not the head of Islam. He's not the head of Buddhist communities. Sanghas, what they call them. But he's the head of the church. And we, his body. Members, literally, you know, we're members. Just like my arm is a member of my body. Members of Christ. <laughs> You're like, duh, man. Well, it just impacted me, okay? And it should impact us because Christ wants to be found in his church. And at the beginning of a new year, we have, you know, roughly what, 50 times left to gather here in this place of worship and make this the Father's house. Prayer and praise to Him. And I would ask you, as a pastoral challenge, to make it a resolution. I want to be found where Jesus wants to be found, and that is the church, because He's the head of the church. Joel Osteen, who, if you know me at all, would know theologically, we would have a few issues. He said this that I can't agree with. You can be committed to church but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to the church. That's impossible. How can you say you're in Christ if you're not a member of the body of Christ. You know. Sometimes I wish being a Christian was just about coming and singing and listening to some good preaching and leaving. But it is not. It is not. It's a relationship with God himself and this is the time when many different relationships with God Himself come together in their own worlds, in your own worlds, and you have beautiful worlds that you've made and all this kind of stuff. But we come together in this place, we lay down our arms, and we receive messages from the King so that we can march right back out and hit the battlefield running. Jesus was found at 12 years old confirming that he wanted to be a part of the Father's house. By the way, this is why, typically, we talk about confirmation happening for those who have been infant baptized at 12. It's because Jesus is 12, and he's found in the church, asking questions, but also understanding them. The other week, our family took a trip to the mountains. And I personally went, as I told you a little bit last week, looking for an epiphany. I desired of God just this great epiphany that I could come and share. I mean, you know, 
get an epiphany from the mountains. You know, I can tell you like where I was, the sun was right there. And just, and, and bring that to you and be like, man, it happened right there. And let's march forward with these marching orders. Let's get going. And reality was, that didn't happen like that. I was looking for something epic. I uh, wanted to, re- to return with a word, <laughs> you know, a, a strong word, a witty word, uh, to set the course, a compelling vision, so you would be impressed. And I wanted to be able to take that to print, put it in graphics, and make it real appealing and inviting to everybody in Madison who likes neat, cool graphics. And I wanted to share it with everybody, Madison around the world, you know. I had big aspirations in the mountains, but it didn't happen. I mean, I stayed up contemplating, praying, reading, meditating early in the morning, later into the night. I spent quality time in prayer, pointed prayer for this word, for this epiphany. And it just didn't happen. No epiphany came. There was a no shining light. There was no light bulb that went off in my, over my head. Ding! That's what I imagine it sounds like when it goes off. Maybe it's more like a buzz. And when that didn't happen, I rested on what my father uh, often says. He says, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And here I am at the beginning of the year. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know that I have this you know, driving, compelling vision to bring the harvest point. That's a problem. <laughs> In past years, I, thought, I think I've had that. And you're like, oh, probably not. But anyway, thanks for thinking that. And for someone who lives their life trying to know things and, you know, enjoys tough, you know, thinking, it's been tough for me to sort of be hanging around in the unknown without a clear word. But you know what? We don't live by sight, do we? Or by our knowledge, but rather by faith and the word of God. The creative, incarnational word of God. The word that creates something out of nothing. Then... When we take that beautiful creation and leave it in the heat of this life or in the bitter cold of the elements of this life out of the confines of its limits, when we spoil our life and it becomes rotten, disintegrating, he can take it and remake it. The same word that created something out of nothing can now take the something that is our life and make it into what it was meant to be. Hallelujah. He can remake us. He can remake us. Somebody, that's a good part where you can put in brackets, amen. He can remake us, right? We need to be remade, don't we? Have you not seen the rot that's down in our life sometimes? More so than we want to admit. But why does He remake us? For what? For you. That's why. 
I had ascended the mountain. It was beautiful, idyllic, picturesque, God's cathedral. Yet no epiphany came. Nature wasn't speaking to me, unfortunately. In fact, nature was trying to kill me. You can ask the boys. We went on a hike and they would tell you they nearly died. They told their mother she wasn't very happy about me doing that. It hurt to go outside. On the hike, the boys and I took, we clawed and slid our way up and down the trail along these precarious ridges as I'm holding on to them, you know, saying, okay, okay, step right over there, and I'm slipping. And ultimately, we never made it to our destination, which was a nice waterfall we were trying to get to, and we had to stop and turn around. That mountain was trying to take us out, and so does life, doesn't it? It seems like sometimes just life is against us. Just like that mountain, we're just slipping and sliding. We, we, we can even hear it. We, we were, I looked on Google Maps. We were so close. <laughs> so frustrating that I had to leave and not conquer that mountain. But I left defeated because I'm slipping and sliding and my boys, it's too, it's too dangerous. It's dangerous for go on. And life is like that. And only upon my return home, off the mountain, out of the mountains, back into the valley, Tennessee Valley, did the epiphany finally come. The light bulb, ding, happened in my life as I landed back in the valley. And much like the disciples, remember at the transfiguration, When Jesus is transfigured before them and it's a light that they've never seen, brighter than the sun, brighter than Clorox can make your clothes. And they saw his glory revealed on the mountain as he talked to two Old Testament greats, Moses and Elijah. They would only get it, the disciples would only get it, not up there, not up there, but instead when they came back down. It wasn't for them to see and understand fully while on the mountain. We've all had those mountaintop experiences where you can just, you feel like you're just on top of the world and you can see far out. You're like, oh yeah, I've got this planned out. and that, this, is, this is awesome. But that's what I'm saying. That's not where the epiphany often happens. The manifestation of Christ in our life does not often happen just on the mountaintop, but rather... As we descend down. Why? Because the scripture says before he ascended, he first descended. And before he can increase in our life, we must decrease. And unless you're a superstar saint, most of us only decrease in the valleys. Because we realize we're not enough. We've come to the end of ourself. <laughs> How many times have I told the Lord, I, I can't do this. I'm done. I feel like Jeremiah, you know, I'm done. I don't want to go and speak to your people anymore. Tell them that they're doing wrong. That they need to do better. That they need to love you more. That they need to love others more. I'm tired of saying it. Nobody's doing it. God says... Okay, you don't have to. But then, when I want to quit, 
all of a sudden this fire. I just can't help but speak. Why? Because of the epiphany I actually had when I got back down. You can do all the mission work in the world and not have Christ. And when it comes to you, he wants you and not the whole world. He wants you. We talk in terms of the whole world, but he wants you. First Peter says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Everyone. Everyone includes you. Everyone includes your neighbors. And that is where my epiphany finally came. It's you. You. I don't mean that rhetorically. I mean like literally you. I can, I'm saying your name in my head as I look around. You were the epiphany. The light bulb came on and the light shined. I didn't find my epiphany on the mountain. I wasn't, didn't find it chasing a star or looking at a sunset. I looked all over the place for that inspiration and never found it. But instead, when I got back home, I had two meetings immediately. Literally, came in, had two meetings with two different individuals and a couple people. And that's where it happened. The Lord said, that's the vision. That's the mission. My people. I was chasing something other than the mission. And the mission is you. The mission is the ones, the yous outside of this room. The mission is the yous that I'm praying one day will be seated right here. And right back there. Right over here. You know, our youth, youth section. More children back there. That's the mission. It's very clear. Christ calls us to go until everyone repents. So until we're down to zero, we still work. We work together. We put our resources together, put our heads together, and keep reaching out. And I am to equip you for the work of the ministry. If I'm not doing that, I'm leaving you infants and childish. And that is not only unbiblical and unhealthy, it's ungodly. I'm not to work outside of my main job description as a pastor teacher that Paul outlines to equip others for ministry. And I've done that at times, and the Lord is checking me. God has gifted me. Man hasn't. God appointed me. Men didn't. And God's appointment is for life. So I'm stuck, unlike you and your job, whatever. Stuck. But you know what? You've got a job, too. (laughs) You've got a calling, too. Just as Samuel heard the call and said, Here I am, Lord. I'm listening. The scripture teaches us that there's not just pastors and teachers, but the priesthood of all believers. 
that everyone is gifted and everyone is called. And when we're working out, just like I have before, our giftedness or distracted, doing something else, because the enemy so much wants to distract us so that we're not doing what we're called to do. You don't bring on a major league pitcher to teach him how to bat. You help him pitch. The others have got to do the batting. This is the way the body of Christ works, isn't it? My arm is not meant to be my leg. And we all are members of Christ. Does that mean we have everything together? Absolutely not. Haven't you heard from last week? This is not a vacation. This is a trip. (laughs) We're all on a trip together. We're not vacationing. It's a trip. It's a journey. Those are two very different things. This is not an all-inclusive package. There will be hard work, long drives, lots of children, and unexpected stops. But I promise you this. If you'll stay the course with us in 2018, the course being Christ our head, you'll never regret it. And we'll make such crazy memories together, like we have in the past, that it'll need to be written down in a book. And it will be, thanks be to God, because in Revelation 20, 12, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The book of life, that's our life. That's us. Please don't think you need to record everything on Google Photos or Facebook. If that were true, Jesus would have had an Instagram and a Snapchat, wouldn't he? He did not. And most of history hasn't had their life stored on the cloud either. Let's live life together in reality in 2018. Love those right in front of you. Wherever you find yourself. If you can't love love those in front of you, what makes you think you can love those on the other side of the world? Or on the other side of this world? If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. 1 John 4.20 For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? You see, I got my epiphany, and it was you. You that are in this room. I pray that God can give you an epiphany for others. Where you see them appearing, manifesting in your life in a new light, in Christ's light. Not in the way you would just see them or think of them or feel good around them, but rather how Christ sees them. I love each of you and I want the best for you. And the best is Christ. The best is you at the last day, think about it, found in Christ. (laughs) What other thing is there to live for? Found in his church, being his church around the world, but not in some ideological way, but in reality. With real water, with real elements, with real handshakes and hugs and cards and love. In reality to your neighbors, in reality to your hairdresser or your barber, to your doctor, to your lawyer, to your grocery stocker, to your nuclear family, your extended family, to the co-worker who doesn't like you. That's the kind of reality that we're called to live in. Not in some made-up ideological utopia. 
but grounded in the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he's with us, preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. <laughs> Christ died for each one of you, and he died for each one of them, whoever them is. And he wants them and he wants you to ride with us in 2018 on this journey. God has renewed my love for you. No hype, just love in action, love in prayer. And I'm making a promise. I'll equip whosoever will come. And each and every Sunday, I'll bring my best by being faithful to him, to my wife, to my family. And to you. It won't happen overnight. This is a trip. But let's stop asking the same tired questions. Let us not fall to the same old fears and anxieties. Let's turn a new page at Harvest Point. Let's try some new things. Swap drivers. Collaborate. And keep the unity of the Spirit in all that we do. Let the wind of the Spirit blow over these dry bones... And make us into a great army, the church militant. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.